Good morning, Mission family. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. That was great. Um, my name is Brian, and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Mission. Uh, it's been a while, so I'm just so looking forward today to sharing uh, God's Word with you. I thought I'd begin with a little uh, 90s nostalgia for any of you that actually grew up in the 90s. So James has a picture he's going to bring up there on the screen. Uh, anybody remember that? Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego, right? Um, I'm really too old for it, but I, had to, I did a little research you know, to figure out what this is about. Um, but this is actually a, a 90s TV show, sort of in the educational uh, TV world, and it was, um, it was built actually on a video game that came out in the late 80s. And Carmen Sandiego was the head of a crime syndicate that called Vice. That was such an original name, right? Vice. And uh, each week in the episodes, the whole idea was usually you had some like underboss that you had to capture first, and then you know they had to solve the crime and and, and figure out um, Carmen San Diego where uh, she was at the end of it, right? So that was sort of the idea of it. And now the reason why I wanted to start with this, right? Um, I was thinking a little bit about the reality. We just have Easter a couple Sundays ago, and um, I think sometimes we think of Jesus' life this way. The the story of Jesus and the, the sort of the life of our church. You know, you start, he's on the cross, he says, it is finished. Um, his, he, he passes, his body is taken from the cross, it's put into the grave, it's there for three days, and uh, God raises him to life, and we celebrate that on Easter Sunday. In some ways, that feels like almost like, it's like the end of the story with Jesus, right? You know, once in a while in the, in the life of a church, you'll get a few sermons on that sort of period of time between the resurrection and the ascension. And maybe even in some circumstances, we have like a sermon on the ascension. But in a way, we're asking the same kind of question, where in the world is Jesus today? Where is Jesus now? Uh, because sometimes we sort of leave out those aspects of what he's doing we actually have a couple of places in Scripture where we see this. Uh, the first uh, point that we can see is that he's at the right hand of the Father. And we see this in Romans 8.34. It says, Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Some other translations describe it this way. is that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. There's another passage that sort of adds to this understanding of where is Jesus now, right? It comes in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 uh, through 5, chapter 5, verse 1, where it talks about the fact that he is our great high priest. So it says there, beginning in verse 14 of Hebrews 4, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. So, Again, we have this picture of answering this question, where is Jesus now, right? He says, he's our high priest, he's in heaven. But to understand what these things really mean, I think we need to dive into these passages just a little bit more. So we begin in that Romans passage where it talks about the fact that he's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. What does intercession mean? 
The, uh, the term is actually a technical term for approaching the king. Isn't that an interesting picture? Just picture Jesus at the right hand of God the Father, the king of the universe, and he's thought through what the right approach is to that king. And it describes him as, as making intercession for us, which means to plead with a person on behalf of somebody else, to be interceding on behalf of another person. So we have this picture of what, where is Jesus now? He's at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. So approaching the king uh, in the right kind of way, using the right approach to it, uh, with the whole purpose of pleading on our behalf. We get a little bit more understanding if we look at that passage in Hebrews as well. So you have this picture of Christ Jesus as our great high priest. And you know, we didn't grow we did not grow up in the Jewish ceremonial worship system. So sometimes for us, we're not really sure what does that word high priest mean. It was a specific role within the Jewish faith that was the person responsible for representing the people before God. So literally, this person would make the sacrifice, would uh, uh, be the one that brought the gifts from the people to God himself. So again, we start to have this picture of Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, representing us before God, interceding on our behalf, and serving as our high priest. Uh, providing that sacrifice, a recognition of sin, representing us to God. If Jesus is doing both of these things described in these passages, and they seem to be a significant kind of role, right? There's something important about it. It seems like a positive thing. Then there must be something necessary about it. Why is Jesus doing these things? Why is he at the right hand of the Father? What's why, why is that role really necessary? To understand that, we have to go back to that whole statement that Jesus makes on the cross when he says, it is finished. What did he mean when he said that? What he meant was that the sins of the whole world had been poured out on him in that moment. So all, that meant all the sins that had happened up until that very point and all the sins that would happen into the future as well. Every bit of that sin had been poured out on him on the cross, and he had paid the full price for it. His blood covered over all of those sins. It was now taken care of. That's what he meant when he said, it is finished. So what this means for us is that when we believe in God, when we believe in him uh, through what he's done through Christ, when we accept the gift that he's given and made on our behalf, we experience forgiveness of sins. We are brought into a right relationship with God. We are restored to the relationship that God desired to have with us. And at that moment when we accept Christ as Savior, he takes and places his Holy Spirit in us. And that Holy Spirit begins this work of making us more and more like Christ, becoming more and more of the person that God wants us to be. But the reality is, even in that condition, I sometimes sin. Now, hopefully I don't do it like I sinned before I came in relationship with him, but it's still characteristic of my life. It still happens where I don't live up to God's standards in my life. And in that moment where that happens, there's like a wedge that comes between my relationship with God. It's sort of fractured, broken in a little kind of way. And it's sort of describe it this way. Picture you and a really good friend, and there's a conflict that arises between you. Now, it doesn't mean that you're no longer friends. 
It just means that there's a problem there in your relationship, right, that needs to be resolved. That's very much like what it is for us with God. And Scripture makes it clear that our response when that happens should be for us to repent. Repent just means that if I'm going this direction, I turn and I go in the opposite direction. And we see this in 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 says this, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. The really neat thing about that word um, confess, all it means is to see our sin in the same way that God sees it. Our human tendency, to be really honest, is I minimize my sins, I maximize your sins, and I feel really good about myself when I compare myself to you. <laughs> right? That's what our tendency is like. We, we tend to fall into that deal. And so we don't see our sin in the same way that God sees our sin. So uh, this is, that's what the word confess means, is to see it, to recognize it in the same way that he sees it. And how does he see it? He sees it as being evil, that has no business being in his presence, that it destroys part of who you are in a way that's really important and, and negative. Um, so it's, it's an, an awful thing, and yet we tend to gloss over it. But this scripture says, but if we confess our sins, if we see our sins in the same way that he does, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that word forgive has its roots in this idea of cancellation of debts and dismissal of charges. Isn't that a great picture? So now think back to this, where is Jesus now? And he's at the right hand of the Father. So what's he doing there when he's making intercession for me? It's that moment where I recognize that I've sinned, I confess, and he's standing there right next to the Father and says, God, He approaches him in the right kind of way and says, God, Brian sinned. He's recognized what he's done is wrong, and he's now asking for forgiveness. And that sin that Brian committed, I covered. I paid for that sin on the cross, so he's okay. And in that moment, my relationship with God is restored. That price has been paid on my behalf. That idea of forgiveness being a dismissal of charges, it's like the picture of like you're going to court because of the sin that you committed, And Jesus is your representative on your behalf. And and as God sees Jesus standing there in your place, he says, those charges are dismissed. They're no longer going to be held against you. And it goes on in in, in, uh, 1 John 1, 9, it says, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That word cleanse is this idea of purifies. It's an act of cleansing from pollution uh, so that a new life of holiness may begin. So we've answered this question, where is Jesus now? He's at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding on our behalf. He's representing us before God. He's serving as our high priest because we need that because we still fall into sin. And that I wanted to uh, look at today five aspects of our relationship, with, uh, our, uh, the five realities of sin from our perspective now that we've accepted Christ as Savior. Once you're a Christian, how, how do you think about this whole concept of sin? So number one, we go from being a slave to sin to being filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this in, in Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 6. It says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. So the idea of slavery 
is it means I'm captured. There's nothing I can do about my condition. I'm committed to something that I'm not necessarily wanting to do, right? A slave does not want to do what they are required to do, but that's my condition. I'm stuck in my condition when I'm a slave to sin before I've accepted Christ as Savior. And so the contrast is that we are, once we've accepted him as Savior, we are no longer slaves to sin but rather we have the Holy Spirit. Talk about a difference. We go from being dead to having the Holy Spirit and being alive. The Holy Spirit puts within us the ability to do what God wants us to do in our lives. We wouldn't have that if it wasn't for that. So the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to live the kind of life that God wants us to live, to, get, to be in true uh, relationship with him. So that's number one. We go from being a slave of sin to having the Holy Spirit. Uh, number two is we are a new creation. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Isn't that a great picture? You know, what we had, what we were before we accepted Christ is dead. It's the old self. It's no longer uh, important to us. And what we've become instead is a new creation. We have an opportunity to start anew, to be something different than we were before. We no longer have to be captured by enslaved to the sin uh, that was uh, part of what our life was like in the past. And then number three, we are saved for good works. We see this in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. It says there, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So part of who we are as human beings, part of the reality of who we are as human beings is we often try to make ourselves look good for God, uh, be good for God by doing the right things, right? That's our human tendency. And sometimes it's just being a little bit better than the person next to us, right? And we feel good about ourselves. And what this, these uh, verses 8 and 9 in particular are saying is that that's not going to work. The only reason we are made right with God is because of his grace that's been extended to us. That's, grace means unmerited favor. It means something we did not deserve. That means nothing I can do can make me right with God. But then look what happens in verse 10. Once we are a follower of God, once we are created anew in Christ Jesus, we become his masterpiece and we're made for good works that he set out, planned a long time ago for us to do. So the result of our salvation, our response should be focused on those good works. There's a little bit of a tendency, right? That if you spent all your time as a Christian thinking about the things you should not be doing, there's not a whole lot of joy in that. God's desire for us is that our focus be on what it is that we should be doing, the good works that he set up for us to do, because it's in those things that we find joy, that we find purpose, that we find direction in our lives. So God has, has saved us, he's prepared uh, for us uh, good works for us to do. Number four, there's still a conflict going on inside each one of us. We're going to see that conflict in Galatians 5, uh, verses 16 to 25. So it's a little bit of a longer passage. Uh, it says there, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. 
And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Isn't that an interesting picture right there? This, right? We feel this at times in our lives, right? The good things that I want to do, I'm not doing, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And you know, I feel this conflict in me. And it's an interesting picture because it's saying, hey, be directed by, being led by, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, and that won't characterize your life. Um, and it goes on in verse uh, 19 and begins to describe what it means if you do allow the, the sinful nature to co- control your life. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immor- immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's the characteristic of somebody whose life is controlled by the sinful nature. But he goes on in verse 22 and begins to describe what it means to be controlled by the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So yes, there's this conflict that's still going on within us between our sinful nature and the Holy Spirit within us. But see the difference when we allow the Holy Spirit to control our life. And then number five, we must avoid cheap grace. Cheap grace, all that means is that there's this idea that I can keep on sinning because I, you know, you even promised it, Brian, in the beginning of the sermon. You can keep on sinning because Jesus is there to make intercession for us. He'll forgive those prices that sin has already been paid for. We see this in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So the reality is, is we should be avoiding cheap grace. Our response should be, I don't want to live this kind of life. I don't need to. um, I should be living a life that's here, controlled by the Spirit, rather than continually falling into the same sins, knowing that, oh, it's okay. Jesus is going to forgive me. That's not the response that we should have. So we've looked at today these five points in terms of our approach, our understanding of sin as believers. So we go from being a slave to sin to being filled with the Holy Spirit. We are a new creation. We are made for good works. We have been saved for good works. There's still a conflict going on, but we should be controlled by the Spirit. And then finally, we must avoid cheap grace. So as the worship team comes up today, I just want to go back to that question that we began with. Where in the world is Jesus now? And the answer that we've seen today is he's at the right hand of the Father. Practicing intercession, the right way to approach the king on our behalf, pleading uh, for, on our behalf to God the Father so that when we've fallen, when we sin, when we uh, do something that fractures that relationship, He steps in in that moment and says, Brian has asked for forgiveness. You've asked for forgiveness. He wants to have their relationship restored, and I've paid the price for the sin. He's serving as our high priest. 
presenting the sacrifices to God that covers our sins. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you so much that you serve as our high priest, that Christ is at your right hand now, interceding on our behalf, Lord, because we need that. Lord, may our lives be controlled, filled by the Holy Spirit. May our focus be on the good works that you set out for us to do. Lord, may we not buy into cheap grace, Lord, that says, oh, it's okay to keep sinning. Lord, may we be focused on being a new creation of no longer being a slave to sin and being who you want us to be, Lord. Help us to become more and more uh, like your son. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. 